Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate, Grantham. For all your steel needs, call their friendly experts. This week we meet Smart Cow, helping cattle farmers to predict new feed efficiency, methane emissions in the dairy sector and animal health status. We'll hear about a TV star's agricultural university bursary. The plan is to hopefully support somebody who may not be from a farming background or for who there are barriers to getting into farming, whether that's financial or location. And with another bank holiday tomorrow, therefore more walkers in the countryside, ask how to separate dogs and livestock plus our regular crop, livestock and grain market reports and prices, and some important agronomy advice. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Hello, plenty of sunshine last week. Will it continue for the bank holiday and this week's Suffolk show? The forecast later in the programme. Yes, Suffolk show back on Wednesday and Thursday with a huge programme of ring attractions, trade stands, competitions, entertainment, the military zone, the farm discovery zone, Titan the giant robot, the Red Devils parachuting in and plenty of opportunities to feed yourself and spend your money. Details online at suffolkshow.co.uk and a reminder you've just one month left to apply for grants of between one and £25,000 to invest in new tech and equipment to boost animal welfare. It's part of DEFRA's Farming Equipment and Technology Fund and there's details on the DEFRA website. It is, of course, the third bank holiday of the month tomorrow. The weather looks good and that will bring walkers to the countryside, which is great, but that can bring its own problems. NFU County Advisor for Lincolnshire, Rhonda Thompson, joins us What sort of problems, Rhonda? We have got lovely countryside. Let's go and enjoy it. But I would ask them to be very, very responsible if they're going anywhere with a dog. No matter what size your dog is, please, please, please keep it on a lead. The natural instinct of a dog is to chase. And we've got livestock in fields like um, young calves, uh, sheep, and they're going to run. And that's going to excite the dog and make them run after them. So that's really the key message then, Rhonda, isn't it? Even if you've got a docile, friendly dog, they could frighten the livestock, keep them on a lead. Well, it's a totally avoidable situation. If your dog is on a lead, it cannot get into that sort of situation. So if if it's off the lead and it attacks livestock, you've obviously got traumatic and life-threatening injuries to that livestock, sometimes wildlife as well. So that's another reason I would ask people to keep their dogs under control in the countryside. And for a farmer who tries to rear that stock to very high welfare standards, it's not nice. It's not nice for the livestock, it's not great for the farmer, and it's certainly not nice for the person walking their dog, often with children, to witness this. Are there any resources produced or provided by the NFU that would help farmers get the message across? We work very closely uh, with the Kennel Club to try and educate dog owners. We we give free signs out to members about keeping dogs on leads on, on a footpath or, you know, if you're going anywhere near to a field where there's livestock. And, and we also try to get messages out through our Back British Farming and our Love Your Countryside campaigns. I would just appeal to people to, to be sensible. Uh, I mean, if somebody had some lambs in their own back garden, if they were fortunate to have an area big enough to put them in, how would they feel if, if a neighbour's dog got in and started terrorising them and actually killed them? It, they'd be devastated. 
So it's no different, really. We all think our dogs are well behaved. We also think that they won't do it. But as I've said, the hunt and prey instinct is, is embedded in any domestic dog. The best behaved dogs can get excited if, if livestock starts to run and they may try and find a way into the field. And even if they're able to call them back without any injury, that doesn't mean there are repercussions you know, further along. And, and the safest thing to do is just to have them on the lead to avoid it. Don't put yourself or your dog in that position. It really isn't worth it. Because a farmer does have the right to do something fairly serious if a dog's on their land and worrying their livestock, don't they? A farmer has the right to shoot a dog that is worrying livestock. And I would like to emphasise this isn't something that would be undertaken lightly. You know, farmers rear livestock because they care about animals and they care about dogs. They're probably dog owners themselves. So it isn't something they would do lightly. But if in a position where there is no other option, then, then that may be another outcome of going out, being irresponsible and not having your dog under control on a lead. How many of us have watched Clarkson's Farm? Most of us, I guess, and most feel that it's only been good for the public's view of the industry. One unlikely star of the show is Clarkson's right-hand man, Caleb Cooper. Now known for his witty put-downs and observations, he's joined forces with the RAU, the Royal Agricultural University, to launch a new bursary for those looking to follow in his footsteps and launch a career in agriculture. Let's hear more from the RAU's Hannah Langford. Hannah, Caleb's not from a farming background at all, is he? Yeah, that's right. He grew up in a rural area, but not uh, on a farm and, and wasn't a farmer himself and didn't have parents he farmed. But he was just really passionate about getting into farming. And he started off um, by owning a few chickens and selling their eggs. And it really grew from there. And then he became a star uh, with, <laughs> yeah. with Mr. Clarkson. I mean, you've got to admit, he is the star of the show, really, isn't he? Oh, definitely. And if you meet him in person, he is he's just a he's a really big personality. So you can see why he's taken off on the show. Um, and he knows his stuff as well, which is really important. He, he does actually know what he's talking about. Absolutely. And he's now going to be contributing and supporting somebody who maybe like him wants to get in farming from a non-farming background. Tell us a little bit about his bursary plan. So the plan is to hopefully support somebody who may not be from a farming background or for who there are barriers to getting into farming, whether that's financial or location or whatever that may be. Um, and so the idea is to support them with a bursary um, at the RAU to support them financially, but also to give them a placement with Caleb and or his partners to really give them those connections and to give them the network to get going in farming, which we all know that one of the challenges for young farmers is getting land and getting the opportunity to, to, to actually do some farming of your own. So what Caleb's hoping to do is to introduce the student to those networks and to give them a, a leg up, as it were, in that way. That's important, isn't it? Because it's not just a cash amount. They're actually getting the opportunity to work with Caleb himself and, as you say, introduce the recipient of the bursary to his contacts. Yes, absolutely. And I, I mean, I, I won't promise the students that they're going to end up working on Jeremy's farm, but they, they will end up working with some of the people Caleb works with and the partners that he works with are fantastic um, and, and all really passionate about farming in the same way that he is, um, which is a really good example and, and really good people to work with. Does the student have to be studying a particular course or can it be for, for anybody 
going into farming generally? Um, it's, so any of our agriculture courses at the RAU, we have asked that the students be 18 to 30 just to give a young person that opportunity. That's, um, that's what um, Caleb is looking to do is to help a young person get into farming. That's no offence to those who are older and wanting to break into the sector. OK, and how will this actually help a student? Uh, well, I'm hoping that with the combination of the RAU academic experience and our network of alumni and the, the history we've got in, in agriculture and Caleb's passion and enthusiasm and his network, it'll really give someone the springboard into a really promising career in, in farming. Um, so, Super. Hannah, is there anything you'd like to say to Caleb? Yeah, I would. I'd like to thank Caleb very much for his um, enthusiasm and passion for farming and being such a great spokesman and for coming to work with us at the RU. We're really excited to be working with him. It's a brilliant idea. If somebody's interested in this, where do they go for more information, Hannah? They go to our website, which is rau.ac.uk, and you can find all the info there. Thank you very much, Hannah. That's Hannah Langford from the Royal Agricultural University. And from the star of Clarkson's Farm to the star of ours, our crop doctor, Sean Sparling. Morning, Sean. Yes, morning to you, Steve. Summer here at last, never mind spring. I don't know about you, but I always think of March and April as being spring. Once I hit the middle of May, it's summer all the way, as far as I'm concerned. And I think the people who tell you that May is still spring will get no fresh air at all if it wasn't for Emmerdale. Winter barley T2's then pretty much done now across the county. Ears waving at us from every field you drive past disease levels pretty much nicely under control they look pretty good a lot of potential if you've got wild oats broadleaf weeds still to deal with in winter barley do check your labels very closely because once that ear comes out i can nearly guarantee you're pretty much snookered as far as safe cut off growth stages go be safe and be legal spring barley t1 still going on you know quite a range of drilling dates in spring barleys this year i've still got a few hundred acres that were drilled in the first week of may so i'm still a couple of weeks away from getting the t1 onto those winter weeks t2s well underway and the weather since last weekend since we last spoke have been a long time coming and welcomed with open booms so much of the t2s have been on put on in the last two or three days a few late stragglers to pick off magnesium deficiency widespread in winter wheat you can see pale and dark stripes alternative stripes like a mown lawn within the leaf and especially in the flag leaf as the ear draws the magnesium out of it it's very inexpensive to treat so bitter salts very good option and they'll also help you if there's a bit of sulfur deficiency there too Disease levels vary by variety, but that septoria is definitely looking lively in the bottom of many fields. Although this hot, dry week has made it look a little less threatening, don't be fooled if you've still got your T2 in the can in the shed. Yellow rust too, lurking and lively. Yellow rust used to favour cool, wet weather. Hot, dry weather used to dry it out. But warm, dry weather doesn't seem to phase yellow rust these days. And if you look in the unsprayed areas of Incitor, Graham, even Extase, much higher levels of yellow rust than we're used to seeing. So try and maintain that T1 to T2 interval of about 25 days if you can, if you've still got your T2 to put on. Flag leaves out widely now, of course, and the boots beginning to split in the more forward stuff. Grow stage 57 in a lot of mine now, so thoughts beginning to turn to T3, believe it or not. Depends what you're after with T3, if it's a disease top-up or fusarium ear blight, but more on that next week. Just staying on wheat, you can't fail to notice the amount of grass weeds showing the mucky heads above the county's cereals as you drive about, but this year I think it's been a pretty perfect storm. If you think about it, we know that if you haven't dealt with blackgrass with glyphosate pre-drilling and then got your preems on within five days following drilling, you don't have any more options because our post-em options for blackgrass control are so limited by resistance that most contact products are now virtually impotent, certainly not delivering a reliable enough or sufficiently high level of contact activity as to make their general application.
application costs worthwhile. So desperately trying we were to hold back the tide of drilling blackgrass land from September until about the 20th of October, or once we'd whipped out a stale seedbed flush with glyphosate, whichever of those happens first in most seasons. But last autumn, we had very high cereal prices. The weather from mid-September was very drilly. A couple of years before, when the rain had started on the 23rd of September and didn't stop, was justification for going early. Therefore, we couldn't wait for that flush of blackgrass. We had to get on. All the neighbours were going, so obviously everyone else had to crack on too. So most, if not all, of the available wheatland had been drilled pretty much by the end of the first week of October, whether it was blackgrassy or not. Now, I can't criticise anyone for doing that. The weather forecasts are so unreliable, and logically, it can easily come wet early. If it's done it before, it can happen again. So in most autumns, a well-timed pre-em and a follow-up residual about six weeks later is more than capable of managing our blackgrass issues. But last autumn, pretty much all the blackgrass land had been drilled by the 7th of October or so, before any blackgrass had flushed, and most got their pre-ems, but plenty was applied at peri rather than pre, because drilling was taking priority over spraying. But once the 20th of October hit last year, and this does in many ways, of course, justify that decision to go drilling, it did indeed start raining. In fact, we averaged about an inch of rain a week from the middle of October to the end of December in that 10 weeks. So the wheats grew really well. They were warm. They were wet. We had very shallow root systems because they didn't have to look for water, but they looked generally green, apart from, of course, where the preems had been sucked up, in which case you could see a lot of yellowing. And of course, the hideous overlaps on your neighbour's wheats were a joy to behold. An initial blackgrass control was actually very, very good. But because an inch of rain a week fell for 10 weeks onto those preems, which were applied in September in the first 10 days or so of October, a huge percentage of that preem herbicide layer will have been washed down from that top 50 mil of soil where it was needed. So that crucial residual layer of flufenicet, symethylene, aclonophen, triolate, penamethylin had moved down to below that 50 mil layer. So the later flushes of blackgrass seeds which germinated in that herbicide free top layer came through with impunity. So when we were walking these wheats in November and December and were saying what a good job the preems had done, they really had. But this year, firstly the residual herbicide layer ran out of steam a lot earlier than normal because of the rain and washdown. Secondly, we have this new miracle preem in symethylene, which gave far too many people the confidence just to get blackgrass land in too early. And thirdly, the way blackgrass in particular now behaves. Now, because whereas 10 years ago, Autumn blackgrass's main period of germination was the middle of October to the middle of November, and spring flushes didn't really start until about March. Today, the blackgrass operates very differently. It just never stops coming. In fact, a lot of the blackgrass out there that you can see in the field now has germinated and established through November, December, January, and February, as far as I can see. So it's technically more spring than autumn blackgrass. I'm just saying that it's all a little bit more complicated than we sometimes like to admit, and it takes a season like this just to illustrate that with blackgrass, all of the tools in the box need to be used and they still may not be enough. Proof of that being that the later drilled blackgrass land appears much cleaner than the earlier drillings. Plenty of potential in the wheat as well though out there, plenty of fields without blackgrass, but with such shallow root systems, thanks to that wet autumn, we could really soon do with another drop of rain. So moving on quickly. Wingless Misers Persicky Nymphs found in untreated sugar beet fields very, very easy to find now, up to threshold in the south of the county this week. So we're dealing with 
with those three treatments available this season. Topeki, which is flanicamid, that'll be your preferred starting point. And interestingly, it appears that the 10 weeks cover from the data drilling that's delivered by Cruiser against this pest is now being downgraded to closer to eight weeks because of the wet weather since drilling, diluting its effect. So do keep your eyes open once you get into that seven week mark after drilling with Cruiser Dress. It's one wingless nymph per four plants up until you get to 12 leaves. But if you've got non-cruiser dress beat, do stay alert now and get your eyes wide open every day in the field. Very easy to find those nymphs now. So it's warm, it's growy. We do soon need a drop of rain though. Let's see what the next seven days bring. Thanks as ever, Sean. Sean Sparling, Sparling Agronomy Services, back with more crop and agronomy advice same time next week. Still to come today, an important new development for cattle farmers, Smart Cow, plus a review of the grain and livestock markets and prices and the weather for the week ahead. Next. The Farming Programme with our equipped steel stockholders with Umbrook Industrial Estate Grantham, supplying the region for over 40 years. Cattle farmers, how do you predict feed efficiency, the health of your animals and their methane emissions? Smart Cow may help. Agrimetrics and collaborators are aiming to make it easier to find and use data so that the food system is better able to meet the challenges it faces. Welcome back, Chief Commercial Officer at Agrimetrics, Rebecca Geraghty. Rebecca, what challenges are we talking about? This programme and this project um, is a really big scale. And the challenge here was around how do you share data across many research organisations that are trying to collaborate and they're trying to help, they're working together and sharing research on how to improve sustainability in the livestock sector. So it's all about sharing different data from different places and different farmers. And then what do we get as a result? So what's the solution to the problem? This project was called Smart Cow. It's funded by the European Commission and it was working with 14 different research institutes across nine countries. When you think about that, you know, this is really complex. You've got a range of different research going on in different countries, in different languages. But actually, there's a real willingness to be working together and sharing that research so that the analysis that was generated could build off what had already been done. And it also was about avoiding duplication so that the data generated in one research facility could be used by others and they could build off that and collaborate together. So lots of data, lots of collaboration, which is brilliant to hear. But on a sort of practical basis, what kind of problems is it looking to deal with? Um, they were looking at things like how could they look at new feed efficiency, um, look at methane emissions in the dairy sector uh, and animal health status. So by integrating different data sets, it meant that they could increase the amount of analysis that was going on. A good example was where they combined data from different methane emissions sensors to improve the understanding of how the diet of the cow affects the release of methane emissions from dairy farms. And so by bringing the data together and uh, sharing the analysis, they can look at, as I said, better at predicting feed efficiency, methane emissions and animal health status. So it's working in all of those quite complex areas. There must have been some training to assist uh, the users of this. Yeah, and, and that was part of our job was to not only provide and build the data platform and the infrastructure and to facilitate the addition of, of the data and, and linking all that data together, but we wanted to leave the teams with the skills to be able to 
upload the data themselves, integrate the data, link the data. And so a big part of this was also providing a kind of knowledge exchange to those researchers in those research institutes as well, so that it has a legacy as well as a, as a, as a programme. And although the, the project itself has come to an end, we know that as a consortium, they're still working to, uh, together. And it gave rise to kind of a whole range of public and private projects, we believe, that are coming out of it, but and help build those strong relationships to continue to work together uh, for the future. If we've got a cattle farmer listening to this, where can they go for more information? What kind of information are they going to be able to get on a practical basis for their farm? So I think it's still early days in terms of how this is then um, translated into practical farm information. As I said, it, it was research that was done across lots of different research institutions. If you go to our website, we've got a really good case study. If you Google for Smart Cow, you can find out more information on there. And there's also a website that you can go to to find out some more information about the research that was funded and the outputs as well. Uh, Rebecca, that's very, very interesting. Thank you very much for joining us on the Farming Programme this morning. Thank you, Steve. Great to talk to you. If you'd like to know more, their website is agrimetrics.co.uk. Links FM Farming. Market reports. Starting with livestock. Auctioneer at Louth Livestock Market Oliver Chapman is away this week, so Russell Jeans looks back at last Monday's sale, starting with prime cattle. Prime steer all in average, 269.17 pence per kilo. Prime heifers all in average, 274.66 pence per kilo. Top price per kilo goes to Jay Thirlby at 312.5 pence per kilo for a Limmy heifer. F. Wallace and Sons selling the top price steer this week at 279.5 pence per kilo for a Lincoln Red. JNS Brooks topped the pounds per head with a cracking Limousin heifer to 1741 pounds and 55 pence, with F. Wallace and Sons seeing top price steers to 1607. Cold cows all in average, 177.77 pence per kilo. Top price this week from RE Needham and Son with a Lincoln Red to 181.5 pence per kilo, grossing at 1306 pounds and 80 pence. Prime lambs, SQQ, 366.06 pence per kilo, all in average, 363.13 pence per kilo. Top price per head goes to R Wood with a tremendous lamb selling to 176 pounds. Top price per kilo from J Reed at 378 pence per kilo for a pen of three lambs to 41 kilos. Hogs, SQQ, 272.95 pence per kilo, all in average, 263.81 pence per kilo. Top price from AJ Coulson & Sons, seeing a high of 165. Top price pence per kilo from LJ Fairburn & Sons at 317 pence per kilo. Colour sheep, all in average, 141.57 pounds per head, all in average used, 92.78. Top price coal use from ME and MB Crowder at £181, with a ram from G Smithson coming close second at 180 Store sheep using lambs, just a handful of using lambs this week, with DNC Lofthouse making the top price per head on a ewan lamb unit at £56. This is Russell Jeans for Louth Market. Thank you. Thanks, Russell. And to the Grey Markets Open Fields, Alice Killam. Morning, Alice. Good morning, Steve. Yet again, another strange week. In markets like this, which sadly most of us have seen before, you revert to doing the things you are forced into and then sitting on everything else. Though none of us know exactly where the next six months will take us, it feels like a sensible strategy today in the absence of knowing exactly what the new season crop will hold for us. Old crop sales and sorting a plan out for harvest is the number one priority for the moment. 
Tuesday's rally already seems a thing of the past as markets turned around and back towards the long-term trend. But for what reason this time? Well, there wasn't any particular reason. The only logical explanation I can muster is profit-taking, following the bounce and the ability for funds to continue selling at a higher level than this week's beginning level. What this suggests is that such volatility is to remain with us. We saw the bounce following concerns over execution difficulties in the Black Sea and Russia purposefully not issuing FITO certificates, refusing to inspect vessels and other such behaviour. I'm surprised this was sorted overnight to give reason for Wednesday's fall. What this means for us, as in previous weeks when grain corridor negotiations were ongoing, we may get small opportunities to trade at high levels when the trend is broken and these opportunities should be well considered. Looking at the US situation, it seems to me that the US wheat is still trading above the EU and therefore the Black Sea, evidenced by the recent cargoes reportedly headed to the US, ex-Poland and Germany. Now, I appreciate that these vessels may be carrying a level of protein and the Kansas 11% protein crop is under pressure, but the fact this is able to happen baffles me. Hopefully I'm reading into this all wrong, but it does seem that we could see lower levels to come before we see a flaw in values. Without demand, I do not see how this market turns around for the longer term. If US futures remain above world value, they will lead us to the downside for more pounds to come. So to kickstart our market again, we need to see further demand from an export buyer, which will require a weaker pound, or less likely, I think, some demand from our own domestic buyers. If neither of these happen, then it looks like we are going to be stuck until harvest. We can mess around with harvest dates, a late one would help some of the very long holders, but we are going to need a proper story to change this negative tone that we just can't seem to shake. The big story, of course, remains the war between Russia and Ukraine, and from it, the Black Sea Grain Initiative. The last big drop in values a week ago now was because of the next 60-day extension, which Russia seemed reluctant to go along with. Evidence so far suggests that Russia are trying their best to grind movement to a halt. An interesting story here. If things really do stop, then the EU should be the main beneficiaries. We saw one day like this this week, where an advancing motif went up for purely this reason. We need more days like this, please. Guide prices for this week, circa Friday morning, feed wheat, July 165 to 170, September again 165 to 170, November 170 to 175, feed barley, June 145 to 150, July 140 to 145, and September 145 to 150. All seed rate for this week is circa 330x farm. That's all for another week. As usual, please call for firm values as the level of volatility is changing prices hourly. Thank you, Alice. If you want to get hold of our market reviewers, their websites are masonsandpartners.co.uk and openfield.co.uk, respectively. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. It's looking like the high pressures and settled, mild, dry weather will continue this week. Winds will be mostly from the north or northwest all week and hardly getting into double figures MPH. A bit cloudy today with some light drizzle possible this afternoon, highs of 14 Celsius. Patchy cloud but plenty of sunshine for the rest of the week. Daytime temperatures in the upper teens and overnight lows down to 5 or 6 degrees. Next week as we move into summer, we'll look ahead to cereals and Open Farm Sunday, the Messingham Show and the Wolds Tractor Run and plenty more. The Week in Agriculture back next Sunday from 7 on Lynx FM or whenever you like from 7 online, the free Lynx FM app, all podcast platforms or ask your smart speaker to play the latest farming programme. And don't forget all previous editions of the programme are available in the same way. Just tell your smart speaker the date of the show you want to hear. I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, sun hats on and have a great week. The Farming Programme. 
with our equipped steel stockholders with Embrook Industrial Estate Grantham. BSI ISO 9001 accredited.